I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I was rector of St. James and Marietta for a number of years. And at one point, the choir decided to hold a fundraiser for a local charity. They called it Bad Music for Good Causes. <laughs> After the first year, it was a sellout because it was so funny. But one year, my associate and I sang the Weasel Cantata by Mark Schweitzer. It goes in part like this. The Weasel Cantata, it's not a sonata. You cannot eat weasel, though it may taste fine. Or lizards or vermin, because they start to squirming. Leviticus 11, verse 29. You can eat all you want of sheep, but no pork. And you cannot eat pelican, heron, or stork, or tortoise, or eagle, or bugs on the floor. And if you eat raven, you'll cry, nevermore. <laughs> but all of these rules will come down in a trice when you develop a taste for fried mice. Nothing's as tasty, no matter the cost, as freshly baked mole pie with iguana sauce. The weasel cantata, it's not a sonata, etc. Leviticus 11, verse 29. Well, as you probably guessed, Leviticus is, Leviticus 11 is part of a whole section of laws relating to what you can eat and not eat and be pure of pure do. The, the determining event in bringing about these laws is what's called the Babylonian captivity. Under King Nebuchadnezzar, beginning in 597 BCE, the Babylonian army conquered Judah and completely destroyed, they razed the city of Jerusalem. And they captured upwards of a quarter of the people and took them into exile in Babylon. Under great pressure to assimilate and to worship the Babylonian gods, the captives strove to find ways to remain faithful to the God of Israel and to maintain their identity as the people of God. So it was during this time when the keeping of the Sabbath and circumcision became required. It was then that the synagogue developed. And it was during that time that the Torah was redacted and came to be regarded as the authoritative text for Jews. And part of the Torah is the book of Leviticus and all of the dietary laws. Okay, 600 or so years later, when the Holy Spirit sent the apostles out to preach and teach about Jesus, the Son of God, crucified, risen, and ascended, the people they wanted to convince were fellow Jews. But then a Roman soldier, a centurion named Cornelius, saw an angel in his house telling him to send to Joppa for a man named Peter. At the same time, Peter had a vision of God showing him all those prohibited foods and telling him what God has made clean, you shall not profane. Peter and six other Jews went to Caesarea and they began to tell Cornelius and his household about Jesus. But as he was talking, 
The Holy Spirit came upon these people just as it had come on the disciples on the day of Pentecost. Now this was a big problem for the church in Jerusalem, especially its leadership. Cornelius and his family were not Jews. They were Gentiles. And according to the dietary laws, not only should Peter not have been eating what they ate, he should not have been with them at all. These laws had been helping to maintain the Jewish identity throughout the times when Israel was ruled by the Babylonians, the Greeks, and the Romans. And now God was asking them to give up the exclusiveness that was part of who they were in order for the Gentiles to receive the same salvation that God had given to them in Jesus. You and I would not be here, or at least probably most of us, if they had made a different choice. But they were silent and allowed the mission to the Gentiles to continue. They were willing to see that as Christians, they had a new identity, much broader than what they knew before. Okay, now let's move forward again. Excuse me, excuse me. Um, you know, through the next 100, 200 years or so, the conversion of the Gentiles to Christianity was no longer an issue. And there had developed a process for becoming a Christian and a part of the church. Now, if you are a visual person, I invite you to take out a pen or a pencil and draw a rectangle and then put three little squares at the top and divide the rest in half. So, say you were a Roman soldier and you decided that you had heard some really great things about Christ and about the Christian faith, you wanted to learn more. Well, you would go to that first rectangle on the left, which was a courtyard outside the church, and there you would be taught the fundamentals, the basics of Christian life and identity. And if you became a believer, you would be invited to be baptized. And the first thing you would do would be to go to the door of the first room on the left, there you would be asked to renounce your old life and beliefs. And that could be a very difficult thing. If you were a soldier, you probably had sworn allegiance to the emperor and in some periods to the emperor's god. If you were a butcher, the meat that you dealt with might well have been sacrificed to idols. To become a Christian, you might need to give up your livelihood those in your family who didn't agree with what you were doing, perhaps your status in society, and your safety. Do you renounce Satan and the evil powers of this world and all the evil desires that draw you from the love of God? You would be asked. And if you renounced them, then you were invited into the first room where you left behind your clothes and anything else you might have brought with you and turned to face the door into the next room. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior? Do you trust him and promise to obey him as your Lord? I do. Then you were led into the next room and there was a pool of water. 
The bishop stood on the side and a deacon led you into the water. And the bishop would ask, do you believe in God? And you would answer, I believe in God. And the deacon would submerge you under the water. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I believe in Jesus Christ. And under the water you would go again. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit. And then you went into the water for the third time. And just as an aside, in a few minutes we'll be reciting the Apostles' Creed, which comes from these three questions. And people are people, you know. And you ask a simple question, and they like to expand on the answer. <laughs> so, do you believe in God? Yes. No, I believe in God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, <laughs> etc. Well, after you came up out of the water, the bishop would pour oil over you to anoint you and announce you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. In the third room, you would be given a white robe to wear and a candle to light your way. Then you and all the others who had been baptized would be led into the church, the final space on the right and you would become part of the Christian community. <laughs> I find this particularly powerful because I can imagine, excuse me. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I can imagine a soldier in armor, helmet, you know, all of the leather and metal pieces and such leaving that all behind and going through that water of baptism and coming out wearing a white robe and a new identity. And that's what the lesson and what we're doing today is all about. It's about identity. Who are you? Whose are you? For the Jews in Babylon, the dietary laws were a way to maintain their identity in a foreign land. For the Christians, the challenge was to give up the identity that they had had for six centuries and expand their vision to see that God welcomed Gentiles as Christians too. Salvation was for all who believe, and the gift of the Holy Spirit confirmed that. For those baptized in the early church, the entire process was a way to leave behind their old identity and become someone new, a follower of Jesus and a member of the Christian community that worshiped God in his name. Today, you are bringing your children to be baptized. You're asking God to give them that same identity, a follower of Jesus and a member of the Christian community that worships God together in Jesus' name. And because you're making a decision that these children are not yet old enough to make, you are promising to teach them and show them what it is to have Christ as part of who you are. It is a sacred responsibility. Thankfully, you have the support and encouragement of Christians everywhere. And you also have the gift of the Holy Spirit given at your baptism to guide and bless you, your children, 
and all of us witnessing these promises as we try to live into the Christian identity together. Amen.